watchers in the fourth dimension. Unfortunately, time is on our side. Charming fellow. Dreadful actor. You'd like to have you, Pashinsky. That might save your life. You'd like to live. Hello and welcome back to Watchers in the Fourth Dimension. I'm Anthony. I'm Don. I'm Julie. And I'm Riley. And do you ever get tired of being pushed around? This episode, we're continuing our odyssey through the entirety of Doctor Who as we head off to the furthest reaches of the universe where we encounter a planet of evil. But first, Riley's going to take a look at the mail. Over to you, Riley. We have a comment from a long, long time ago from the Scorchies. Jamie Ravel <laughs> says, okay... So this was months ago by now, but it happens to be where I'm up to with listening. For all I know, somebody's already mentioned this and had their email read out on the podcast since. But in case they haven't, they haven't. On this episode, you missed the most obvious inspiration, other than The Muppet Show. Bagpuss was a children's television show broadcast for one season in 1974. So thanks for making me feel old, since I can only assume Anthony doesn't remember it. The main characters were a stuffed cloth cat, a carved bookend named Professor Yaffle, a doll, and a group of cheerful mice that sing songs. There's also a direct reference in one of the lines you singled out as seeming odd, which was Joe loved him. That is a callback to the line in the intro to every episode of Bagpuss, but Emily loved him. Takes me back to my childhood. That is fascinating. We have to watch this show. Thank you, Jamie. Are we allowed to say Bagpuss on this show? <laughs> we are allowed to say Bagpuss, and I feel wow. bad because I should have picked up on that connection. It's been so long since I watched Bagpuss, so my bad. Thank you for that, Jamie. Okay, that is an adorable cat puppet. Oh. Thank you, Google. That's awesome. I can't wait to watch it. I just feel like it's going to be nightmare fuel. We have a bunch of people commenting about Revenge of the Cybermen. First up is Keith Burton, who says, Revenge of the Cybermen holds a special place in the hearts of longtime fans precisely because it was the very first Doctor Who VHS release. I remember going to our local petrol station with my dad and renting the video. You can rent videos at a gas station? Okay, interesting. Yeah, you used to be able to in the UK. All right. We then drove around to see a friend who had the insane luxury of two video machines, and he copied it onto a blank tape for two pounds. I now actually owned a Doctor Who story. This was massive in an era where episodes were shown once and then hardly ever repeated. Incidentally, when Anthony described the hairbrush radio as like James Bond, he was more accurate than he realized because Kelman's hairbrush radio is the same prop that Roger Moore used in Live and Let Die four years earlier. Roger Moore retained the prop after shooting ended on the movie. When he visited the BBC to have lunch with a friend, he brought the prop along specifically for the BBC special effects unit because he thought it would be good to use in Doctor Who. Moore was paid £10 for the prop, and I think I think that is probably a practice that Dr. Hugh greatly appreciates. Donations for <laughs> props or costumes. Nicholas Rutherford says, harsh but fair assessment by the team, although I have a soft spot for this one, as I had the first VHS you mentioned. By the way, Anthony, the reason the brush looks James Bondy is, well, what do you know? Someone else. Is because it's from Live and Let Die. Roger Moore said he gave it to the member of the production team. I like how they single out Anthony. I know. How dare this. you not know this? Yeah, I'm the one who knows things, allegedly, and this is something I apparently did not know. So thank you, everyone. And they expect me not to, so now I'm completely off the hook from knowing anything. <laughs> Yay. I love when I get mentioned on these things. They're always wondering who's the next love in these episodes. And for Anthony, it's you got it wrong. <laughs> <laughs> well, speaking of, Nicholas goes on to say, P.S. Monster of Peladon is definitely worse than this. Plus, Julie, there's much worse to come. So you have something to look forward to. 
J.M. Casey says that, ah, yet another plug for the great planet of the vampires. That I'm Mm -hmm. always happy to see. As for this serial, I really used to enjoy it, but because it was a Cyberman story and I had a thing for them when I was a kid, but it's not one I've gone back to in a real long time. I even remember introducing my ex to Doctor Who and we watched so many of the good ones together. She really enjoyed them too, but for this one, I remember just going off and messing with the computer and letting her watch it by herself. (laughs) You should have protected her. We never talked about it afterwards, but thinking about it now, perhaps she just never forgave me for such a terrible, cruel act. <laughs> Amazing. Oh, boy. R.L. Gray says, oh, God, please tell Julie that the good people at Starship in Atlanta would no doubt be happy to help with her request for a sonic vibratory device. Starship with four locations, the Atlanta metro area. Also, in my head, I overlaid a Rick Sanchez voice that is of Rick and Morty over her exclamation of silver balls. (laughs) We uh, do not have any sponsorship from Starship. We probably would accept it. If anyone listening works for Starship, let's talk about that. You're right. R.L. Gray then goes on to say that, oh, by the way, yes, the story is also awful. Okay. (laughs) My favorite comment out of the mail this week is Mark Dunstan with, quote, not one of the best Cybermen stories. Very succinct, Mark. Well said. Mark is a master of understatement, and I appreciate him. Straight to the point. Uh, you have to yes. appreciate that, yes. Daniel Davies, I'm assuming pronounced like the kinks, says, Enjoyed the podcast and listening to you talk about one of my favorite seasons of Classic Who. Though revenge does unfortunately suck. <laughs> the only gripe, sadly, has been Julie's complete dislike for anything related to Harry. Since fourth doctor, Sarah and Harry have always been my favorite TARDIS team. Next to second doctor, Jamie and Victoria. Nothing more to say, but sorry, old girl. Them's fighting words, Daniel. You need to watch out. All right. (laughs) That's it. Kieran James Evans says, don't know what to give this. I do have strong memories as it was my first VHS tape. That seems to be a theme. Not the 1983 release, but the 1999 re-release, which was also episodic rather than movie edit like the 83 version. But it is a bit crap. Five out of 10 emotionless cyborgs, which might not be cyborgs anymore, being very emotional. Music-wise, Peter Howell also helps out, so that may be where the synths come from. More from Peter later, dot, dot, dot. That sounds threatening. With respect to the weak explosion (laughs) when Lester sacrifices himself, it is stated that the bombs have a secondary charge, which is what goes boom when you try to remove them. Okay. Okay. No, okay. That makes sense. Thank you, Karen. Rounding up, Sean Cullicutt says, this was my first Doctor Who VHS. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Loved it then. My first Cyberman story. Haven't aged well, but still, why all the hate? Hashtag respect revenge. (laughs) I like going out on a positive note there, Sean. I appreciate it. Everyone, thank you for writing in. We love to hear it. And that is the mail. Over to you, Anthony. Thank you, Riley. And as a reminder, we really do love hearing all of your feedback, comments, thoughts, and questions. And as you've just heard, we do try to reach out as many of them as possible. You can reach us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at, at Watchers4D or via email at Watchers4D at gmail.com. We would love to hear from you, so please do leave us a message. Or visit our booth at your local Starship location. (laughs) (laughs) We would love to hear from you, so please do get in touch, whether on the interwebs or at Starship. (laughs) Moving on to our behind-the-scenes segment, Planet of Evil has a bit of a backwards tale to its making of. Producer Philip Hinchcliffe and script editor Robert Holmes were both in agreement that Doctor Who had spent far too much time on Earth in recent years. 
Separately, they had been impressed with the work of designer Roger Murray Leach, who had worked on the Ark in Space, the Sontaran Experiment, and Revenge of the Cybermen in Season 12. So they brought him back and asked him to work on designing a truly alien environment within the confines of a BBC studio. Basically, the sets came before the story. To weave a storyline around Murray Leach's proposed sets, Hinchcliffe suggested taking inspiration from the 1956 feature film Forbidden Planet, which he had greatly enjoyed as a child. That film has a monster that's revealed to be the dark side of a character's mind, and Hinchcliffe proposed that the monster of this serial be the representation of the malign aspects of a planet. Holmes, meanwhile, wanted to riff on Robert Louis Stevenson's 1886 novel, Strange Case of Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, in which an experiment causes a good-natured scientist to turn into a violent monster. To try and blend these two story elements together, Holmes approached writer Lewis Marks, who had previously contributed scripts for season 2's Planet of Giants and season 9's Day of the Daleks. Marks was, at the time, under contract with the BBC as a script editor, and clearance had to be obtained for him to work on Doctor Who. Marx's scripts were to be set on a jungle planet, which would allow Murray Leach considerable freedom in his design work, while also consciously avoiding copying the barren planet featured in Forbidden Planet. Marx's adventure, titled Planet of Evil, was scheduled to be recorded second in the show's production block, after Pyramids of Mars. However, it was agreed that it would be transmitted ahead of Pyramids of Mars in order to give the season a better balance of serials set on Earth and serials set in space, as well as serials recorded in-studio and those with location shooting. Brought in to direct this, we have David Maloney, who we last saw handling season 12's Genesis of the Daleks. Of course, he's a veteran of the show, having been directing since season 6. Joining Maloney behind the scenes, we have the return of series regular composer Dudley Simpson after a two-serial break. Janet Radankovich takes over as production unit manager from George Galaccio. Her other credits include work on Z-Cars, Shoestring, EastEnders, and Hetty Wainthrop Investigates. We also have the first contribution of Andrew Rose as costumer, and he will return to provide costumes in seasons 21 and 23. Outside of the show, he's also known for work on Monty Python's Flying Circus, Terry Nation's Survivors, and Tenko. And last but not least, Murray Leach was actually available and able to work as designer on the serial, which is a good thing given that they created the concept for the entire serial around his ideas for a set. <laughs> and he was indeed given the freedom to design a detailed, exotic, and alien jungle at Ealing Studios to represent the surface of Zeta Minor. The set was so successful that it was photographed by the BBC Educational Service as an example of design excellence. That being said, there were some issues. In particular, <laughs> it was extremely difficult to position sound booms around the set, which meant that much of the dialogue had to be overdubbed, <laughs> much like I've had to do for all of my dialogue in this podcast episode. Narratively, shortly before recording began, Hinchcliffe requested an amendment to the closing of the serial. In Marx's original version, Sorensen did not reappear after falling into the black pool. Hinchcliffe did not feel that this was a suitable fate for a character who was fundamentally well-intentioned, albeit very misguided. The ending was rewritten by Holmes to have the character survive. The final version of the serial was broadcast between the 27th of September and the 18th of October 1975. On broadcast, part 3 was delayed from its usual time slot by 20 minutes in order to accommodate an extra long edition of sports show Grandstand, which was celebrating its 1000th broadcast. That brings our behind the scenes segment to an end, so I'm going to hand over to Julie, who has the short summary of this episode. Do you want a serial that has questionable writing? Are you just dying to see some not so great acting? 
And are you looking forward to really random close-ups and bad lighting? Well, have I got a story for you. (laughs) The Doctor and Sarah Jane take a detour from London five minutes from now to a mining operation gone wrong. So wrong that the only man left is an insane professor who, for reasons not very well explained, slowly turns into a Mr. Hyde. Meanwhile, a military crew shows up with the most unreasonable commander we have encountered in a long time. Suffice to say, if you are a man and your name starts with the letter S, (laughs) I do not like you. (laughs) As it turns out, the planet being mined is at the edge of the universe, which obviously means that it is home to antimatter. This antimatter really just wanted to be left alone, but no, they just had to steal from it. After a game of tug of war and the doctor knocking the professor into a giant pit, the planet lets the crew go and we get one of the most awkward goodbyes of the show. (laughs) Hope you enjoy spending 95 minutes of your time on this. If your name is Sebastian, Sean or Sam, I'm sorry, you don't have much of a chance with Julie. (sighs) Okay. Those sets, right? Straight away in part one, those sets are gorgeous. They look nice. The sets are great looking. From that, it kind of goes downhill from there. (laughs) (laughs) The unfortunate thing about said sets, it's not only the boomsticks, but the lighting was just so bad. And half the time you can't even see their faces. And you can tell with the dubbing that something just seems off. But it also kept me from seeing their brown track suits. (laughs) those suits i mean it looks when i saw it i was like this is what old biff wore in back to the future (laughs) just like slubbing around like washing a car or something like come on it looked horrible and then when when salamar which he's dangerously close to being salad bar like panda salad bar (laughs) salamar and his crew show up I'm trying to remember if it was the space pirates, but didn't they have the bulky, puffy uniforms that were ridiculous looking? No, that was... They looked like they're eventually going to grow up to be dominators. Yes. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah. but their shoulder pads haven't grown up over their heads yet. (laughs) The military uniforms aren't that great either. No, they're terrible. (laughs) Absolutely terrible. It was Frontier in Space with the shoulder pads. Yes, that's it. Could not pull it off the top of my head. Yeah. Uh, what is, why, why was that a thing? It's the seventies, man. It's the seventies. <laughs> I guess you can have large collars. So they're going to go large, puffy shoulder pads. Yeah. And then we move into the, what I thought was going to be the invisible monster. We're pretty close to the invisible monster. <laughs> but I'm so surprised to hear you be immediately so down on this, Riley. Whoa. Because you're the one person who's consistently like, give me the weird. <laughs> And this is the serial that brings the weird for the first time in forever. See, it does, but the other problem with it is that it just seems so basic. It, I feel like it's weird, but not weird for Doctor Who anymore. They've gone through this territory before. What I'm hearing is, give me the weird. Wait, no, not like that. No, I'm saying give me the weird for Doctor Who. I'm saying that this all felt very basic for the show it did not feel unusual they're in a weird situation and they explain it away with a lot of weird techno babble but they've put the most stock characters in the form of the military that we've seen a million times with the jackass commander and the wiser older guy yeah we've seen this before which is too bad because the actual setup is pretty cool It's essentially a ghost story. Oh, you can't steal from the forbidden place and we'll get you until you let it go. 
that's kind of cool. Yes, I agree with Don on that. And part of the problem is, is that I feel like the sets and the concept of the story does not work with this tone. At least like it should be, I guess, creepier, slower paced, something in order to build a mood. But it just seems like it runs too quickly. People are constantly getting killed by this light creature that looks like something from the Outer Limits show. That was my problem with it. The thing I ended up disliking the most was the fact that they tried to marry the antimatter planet evil story with a Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde storyline. I thought those did not work together at all. I agree completely. If you're going to have something hunting down the men on the planet, either have it be the professor and nobody knows it. So then you get the glory of a reveal because he's acting kind of weird the whole time. Or you just have the monster from the planet on the ship turning the professor into a creature. When we already have a creature on the planet, it doesn't track. All right. Should we rate this one? (laughs) (laughs) Hey, hey, it's not all bad. The music was good, at least in the first episode. The music was good, but also it was one of those situations where it was so good that I didn't notice it as much other than just being like, oh, hey, there's the clarinets. We're doing great, guys. That is the sign of good music. But can I talk about this terrible acting and how (laughs) none of them knew how to act dying? Oh, God. (laughs) Yeah, I think it's because they didn't really know how they were dying. Am I suffocating? Am I being crushed? Am I having a heart attack? It's like they didn't know. They just said die. I'm like, how? I'm going to specifically call out the actor Terrence Brooke playing Braun. He's the older gentleman who dies in the first episode. He's my nomination for the worst supporting actor (laughs) because that was awful because it looked like he was stretching when he died. He was having a cramp. (laughs) But I'm not going to lie. If I could just say all of the deaths. Yeah. In this one, I'd go with all of the death acting. If we're going for nominations this early, wow, this has just gone off the rails already, hasn't I would have to give our <laughs> salamander salad bar for when he makes fun of the guy saying, what, you want to be alive or whatever the line is. <laughs> yes, that's kind of the whole point. It's just the whole thing was like, do you guys want to rewrite that just real quick? Anything? No, that's what you're going with. OK, sorry, uh, Anthony, we've just gone off the rails. I apologize. We have. I'm getting the feeling that we're not going to discuss this one in our usual linear format. (laughs) We're trying. It also runs into another problem. It's like you did mention the weird, but we're also going with, as Don mentioned, the just, oh, we immediately distrust the doctor and his companion. Oh, what are going to happen? They're going to be imprisoned. That goes on for, I mean, the entire time. Right. And it makes a four part serial feel padded. Yes. Because our guy that's mainly doing that at no point will listen to reason. And it's not like he starts off kind of reasonable and just gets crazier and crazier as people start dying. No, he starts at 11. So there's nowhere to go. I will actually agree with that. Part of the problem is so much of this we've seen before. But the show's moved on. That was fine in season five. That was fine eight years before this went out. But come on, we're better than that at this point. We've had nearly 10 years of better storytelling. So I agree. That whole, we're not going to trust you, was very, very tiresome. Outside of the element of what our monster is, everything else feels mailed in. There's yeah. no depth to it. There's no nothing new or novel with it. It's very frustrating because Don is right. There is potential here. And the sets look great. The music looks great. The frame around the story 
outside of the costumes is there <laughs> but the story just doesn't deliver i just want to tag off of what riley just said there by having the horrible commander constantly mistrust them and keep them from doing what they need to do it makes the actual threat feel less intense it feels like if we could just get this jackass out of the way we could get this done and go home so it's just frustrating instead of tense and interesting. Yeah, because the threat doesn't have any character. The threat is almost like a force of nature, not anything of any intelligence. That could have added an interesting wrinkle to it. You say it acts as something that doesn't have a mind of its own. I actually kind of wish they had pushed on that a little bit more because it's antimatter. It shouldn't have a mind. It is something that is completely foreign to us. It's just a concept, really. If they had really leaned into that a little bit more... The weird CSO silly string monster really just was like, okay, so again, it's the invisible except every once in a while you can kind of see it-ish type of thing. But if they really leaned in, it was actually invisible, but in the sense it was like that big giant pit where it just was nothingness right. and like the nothing came out. Yes, I'm kind of referencing the <laughs> never ending story here, but having that would have been a lot more interesting than Silly String Monster. I kind of like the Silly String Monster. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> I do too. I'm a big fan of Forbidden Planet. You may be <laughs> as well, Antony. And so having them basically, like, yeah, we're just going to rip this off. It kind of made me happy. But you are right in that at first it seems like, oh, it's invisible. No, it's a red outline. Well, what is it? And why did Sarah Jane feel like her brain was being sucked out and nobody yeah. else did? Yeah, that's true. Why yeah. did she have a unique reaction? I really like the Oculoid Tracker and I yes. like some of the shots they used with it. That was really well done. And I actually like the look of the Oculoid itself. I thought it was very humorous and I just... It, that was interesting. I like that it had an eyeball. Yes. That was really yeah. cool. Is that something biological in there? What's going on? <laughs> also, I don't know if anyone else will agree with me. I actually like the gun noises. I like that. I don't. It's like they're playing with a cat. I don't know. I also like some of the interactions between the doctor and Sarah Jane. Mm -hmm. Yes, I liked when the Sarah Jane was goading the doctor into escaping with the whole, hey, there's this big security flaw, see? It's magnetic locks. And he's like, well, we can't do anything about that. She's like, slow power. <laughs> <laughs> that actually brings me on to a question I had, and I wanted to get this group's thoughts. Do you think Sarah's better served by this story than she was in season 12? Yes, yes. Yes. Yes, I yes. agree. But not Zygons. She was better in Zygons, but she's still better than 12. Not even the doctor is terribly well served in this story. I feel like this is an opportune moment for me to bring up the fact that my really old friend back home, Cy Hart, dislikes this story so much that he refers to it as planet of wretched evil. <laughs> I even think that the name is stupid because at no point do I think that the planet is evil. The planet wants to be left alone and yeah. have it not have things stolen from it. That's it's not pretty reasonable. <laughs> I mean, that's how I feel most of the time. Yeah, exactly. Yes. <laughs> Don't steal my shit. I think that's a wrap on episode one. <laughs> and, and chunks of two. Yeah. And chunks of three. So, so let's, let's uh. dive into two then. There's some things to talk about too. I did really like, it was unspoken, little play there where the doctor almost snaps back at being threatened with execution and you see like sarah cutting her eyes at him and he like says like oh i want to say something but he doesn't that was a cute moment and that's something i always depend on when i'm having a hard time with a serial i'm like just give me those character moments of the characters we love 
and I can get through it. And I even feel like there wasn't enough of that in this one. It wasn't enough, but there were a few things. Yes. I also like Sarah Jane using the doctor's scarf so that she doesn't lose him in the jungle. I thought that was cute. <laughs> that scarf needs to be used with a lot more frequency by how ridiculous it is. Lean into it. As much as possible. Uh, thought I had something. <laughs> so the end of episode two, then let's talk about the end. <laughs> oh, oh, is this the, the return of the freeze frame fall? Oh, God. <laughs> when that happens, the only thing that could have saved it, in my opinion, was the sound of a record scratch with <laughs> then the <laughs> you know what I'm going to say? <laughs> yep, that's me. You're probably wondering how I ended up in this situation. <laughs> <laughs> well it's also oh. the return of the extremely long recap oh oh yeah yeah, yeah yeah i'm like riley's gonna have something to say about that freeze frame <laughs> and i don't blame him and then when we got into part three i'm like did i miss something what is going on how do oh okay they're recapping the previous episode i call the recappers your opportunity to make some tea you just run over there <laughs> put the kettle on there you go you got time you're not gonna miss anything otherwise known as this episode was running under yeah, yeah. We can only have salad bar distrust them only so many times. We didn't have enough. <sighs> and then there was the free fall that the doctor was doing. And I was like, oh, okay. yeah, it. episode three. Yes. The psychedelic yeah. freak out, man. <laughs> Blowing my mind. And that's where I thought Riley would start enjoying the weird. But how wrong was I? Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> how wrong no, was that's, I? I would argue it's just not weird enough. And that's what I'm saying. Just not weird enough. I mean, we've already seen that. We've seen the third doctor kind of float around and then like have a whole wrestling match. How's this supposed to beat that? It's not. Yeah, he it got can't. teabagged in that one. The third exactly. doctor got teabagged. So how can we? <laughs> right. Let's keep going, everyone. You're not going to top that with just having the fourth doctor floating around in a void. Just not going to do it. Yes, yeah, someone's got a teabag. Yes. <laughs> At least. An antimatter teabagging. An antimatter teabagging. <laughs> Uh. Oh, man. Oh. The other frustrating thing that we had was we had them trying to take off. They weren't able to because they had the minerals. They try to leave again, and the same thing happens. And I'm like, can we stop repeating things? Oh. And Salomar says, that's impossible. Obviously, it's not. <laughs> you fucking moron. You're not taking <laughs> off. You know why. How is it impossible? How did you get this job? <laughs> <laughs> I don't. I, uh, I've got nothing. I've lost control of the conversation. So it's turning into the player haters club in here. I think pretty much one of the best deaths. If you were keeping track of character names, one of them is named Morelli. Morelli had the best death scene. It was actually the best one, but it was also because it was off screen. <laughs> it was he, the soldier that was like kind of pudgy. The little pudgy guy that had a couple like jokes like they send me to go over here and then they send me to go over there. It's no. part of my job. I liked him. I, I, liked, I liked him. Him. I was kind of hoping for him to survive, but no. Morelli, I think, was he was the one who got sent to open up the airlock to dispose of the stuff. And he got waylaid by Sorensen when he was in his Mr. Hyde phase. I mean, if it wasn't more direct, they did the classic drink something, look at yourself in the mirror transition. I mean... I have questions about that. Oh, I, it makes no sense. It makes no damn sense. His eyes are glowing red and he's doing that. And then he has a solution pre-made that turns him back to normal temporarily. So was he expecting this all along? 
what? Yeah. At first I was like, is he just trying to have a cup of tea and fix things? Because... <laughs> I mean, that's very British. Yes. yes <laughs> just it is. fix it with a cup of tea. Why is he dropping antimatter in his tea? <laughs> <laughs> it was crazy because as he's doing that, I was like, oh, this might be kind of like a depressing kind of moment where it's like he's freaking out. He sees he's changing. He's going to try to do something to make himself feel better, but it's not going to work. Like wash his face, drink something. Oh, oh. Wait, shit, the drinking thing helped. Oh, okay. I guess you're all right. What? (laughs) So I know a lot of times in horror films, they'll just show you glimpses of the monster, quote unquote, so that you don't see the whole thing all at once. And they're trying to like tease it out and everything. But oh my gosh, just the way it was done was so awful because it's like, I'm going to show you an elbow or I'm going to show you this. (laughs) It made no sense. (sighs) Oh, but it was worth it. For that glorious reveal of the first full shot of oh. Anti-Man. You mean the disco Anti-Man? Oh, you said it was disco. I thought I was watching a music video of like the Steve Miller band. <laughs> I died laughing when it happened. I rewound it. Watched it again. Wow. It was driving. It was the funniest thing I had seen all week. Oh my God. <laughs> Didn't we used to have a British guy on the show? You did. I'm still vaguely here. <laughs> <laughs> I'm amazed at the hate fest right now. I thought this was bad, but I don't think I thought it was nearly as bad as any of you guys apparently did. And honestly, I'm really looking forward to hearing the ratings at the end of this. That's the thing. Here's the shocking twist. I don't hate this. I'm more disappointed than angry. There's so much good stuff in here, and yet there's so much stuff that's just utter crap. If I had the chance to redo... Any Doctor Who episode we've done so far, including that one that doesn't really exist we haven't seen called The Smugglers, I would do this one. (laughs) There's a kernel of something good in here. Yeah. Story-wise, it just doesn't know what it wants to be. And it could be a really, really good horror-themed serial. Yes, 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 that's true. It also could do with some maybe better acting. Well, yes. Yes, it could. That ship design, that outside shot of where the soldiers come down of it, it looks like the side of a cruise ship. In that shot. Yes. <laughs> with the ladder with the rope attached to it. Yeah. Yes. Uh-huh. That spaceship pisses me off so much. Not because it's Spartan, okay? I'm fine with a kind of sparse Spartan spaceship design. What pisses me off about the spaceship is the fact that you can so clearly see where they have failed to properly cover up the joins in the fucking drywall. <laughs> <laughs> And I swear, when I was watching this, there was a prop. Eventually, it becomes an actual prop in a later episode. I swear, in like episode two, it is just a cardboard cutout. <laughs> I could be wrong. I've been wrong before, but that's what it looked like to me. You can definitely tell where they spent the money on this one. And it was 100% on the jungle and absolutely nothing else. I have to question some of the directorial choices, because again, I already mentioned the weird close-ups of elbows and things of anti-man. But yes, and that's how I'll say it. The zoom on Sarah Jane's eyes was a little bit too long by about 10 seconds. <laughs> yeah. I have an apology to make. I'm going to apologize to Riley. What? Me? When we did Genesis of the Daleks, Riley pointed out what David Maloney does with weird close-ups on random body parts, specifically in relation to Davros. Oh, yes. Thank you. And Hand Don and I told Riley that he was wrong. I can't apologize on Don's behalf, but I can apologize on my own. 
And because while David Maloney got away with it on Genesis of the Daleks, I think it made him think that he could do it much more egregiously here. And that's exactly what he does. <laughs> <laughs> and yet, not a single weird close-up on Michael Wisher, because he was a voice-only role on this. <laughs> oh, yeah. We're about to get ejected. Yes. yes. Because the second salad bar decides that... Salamander salad bar. <laughs> salad bar junior. Decides that the best thing to do is to kill them because reasons. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But it's at this point where it solidifies Vashinsky is awesome. And he was awesome throughout the whole thing. And again, yes, his name starts with a V, everyone, not an S. It's pretty clear that the company or the organization that decided who to send out always said you know what oh salad bar is out there all right send Vizinski. he's gonna <laughs> fuck it up if we don't bring him with there he's gonna do something to help control that idiot i have serious questions about Morestrian society specifically their military slash scientific core how the fuck <laughs> does salamar somehow rise up the ranks and become a captain yes like, were yes. they huge fans of Star Trek, the original series? Did they think, oh, we must have a Kirk on our hands? Oh, no. Clearly his dad. This uh, is a family yeah. thing. Also, I think it's really lucky that neither Riley nor I go by our last names. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> it is. Whereas, you know, W is kind of close to V. I mean, it's literally the next letter. <laughs> so I guess I get away with it. <laughs> wow, guys. Oh, there was one really cool thing that happened. <laughs> just one in yes. the entire story <laughs> there are parallel scenes where salamar says keep away and then it cuts to the doctor also saying keep away and i thought that was really really well done do you remember when we did robot and i do want to acknowledge what you just said julie but do you all remember when we did robot terence sticks wanted to do king kong i think it was terence sticks and Robert Holmes wanted to do AI Goes Mad. So they just smashed them together. Yes. Mm-hmm. Could have been the other way around. But we kind of said that Robot wasn't all that successful. There were some things that made it perhaps more successful than it should have been. But we have exactly the same sort of concept here of smashing together two things that have absolutely no business being together. Yeah. And it flounders dismally. Stop doing it. I realize I'm talking to Robert Holmes and Philip Hinchcliffe in the past, (laughs) but guys, stop doing that. (laughs) Going by what Julie was saying about that shot, I did appreciate that. I feel like that would have been more effective if there was some sort of interesting emotional difference to contrast the two scenes, because it just felt like it was action scene and action scene. It just seemed like the scenes were nice that they were mirrored, but it would have been nice if there was a more of a contrast or an undertone that made it different. Yes. Riley, Riley, you're asking way too much. <laughs> I'm looking for the very basics. <laughs> and you're looking for an Oscar winning performance. Um, <laughs> I wouldn't care if it was a nice B-grade horror movie performance. <laughs> And even then, I would like a better script because there's so, I mean, there's so much of Forbidden Planet in here. There's a little bit of alien going on. And yet they somehow completely whiffed it. Good word. Can we also talk about whatever that weapon thing was that Salomar had? The neutron accelerator? Yeah. That questions. (laughs) Just the design of it is awful. 
Well, it's not just that, but it's never really explained as to why it makes anti-man multiply. Become anti-men. <laughs> well, it said it accelerated it, but I'm like, how does it accelerate antimatter? I want the science, please. If you're going to go technobabble on me, at no, least then no. explain it. Yeah, give us some technobabble. See, make it a weird ghost story possession <laughs> thing by, you know, eldritch horrors on the other side of the universe, and you don't have to explain anything. Yeah, you're not wrong. But once you start going, oh, antimatter and neutrons and uh, this weird tea I drink, you've already lost it. <laughs> Fail. Oh, we're getting to a point. Okay, so the doctor decides to kidnap Sorison and throw him into the pit because why not? <laughs> hey, nothing else is working, but, Julie. But also, <laughs> let's let's remember that before we touch on that real quick, the doctor can throw some hands. It was very enjoyable to see him punch Salomar right in the face. Yes. Yeah, yes. That was good. Never. Probably would have karate chopped him and gone, hi, and Baker just fucking lamps him. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, he nails him. It was amazing. And then going back to what Julie said in regards to Sorensen, the doctor just pops him. Bam, bam. Yeah. Right? No concern. It just does that. And I would have preferred it. I know it's not good for tension, but it wouldn't have been just more suited for this entire serial where he just pops him. He doesn't wake up. He literally just fireman carries him over to the pit and just drops him and then walks away. <laughs> Nothing else is said. <laughs> and he should have remained dead. Yeah. Oh, please. A yes. hundred yes. percent yeah. should have remained dead. One of the critics I read had this entire theory that the doctor spent some time doing something mooching around the planet before he comes back and is surprised to find Sorensen alive. I didn't see that. I saw the Doctor walking straight back in and seeing Sorensen and still being surprised because he clearly wasn't expecting to find him. But I don't think that he was ambling around the planet communing with antimatter or whatever. There was no time. No, there wasn't. Because as you go back up to the ship, you notice that we're starting to accelerate again and things like that, which is not that much time. My headcanon is that this was all just an experiment by the Doctor to see if he had a place where he could dump dead bodies. <laughs> <laughs> This is the version of the Doctor that is, in fact, Rick Sanchez, right? <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> <sighs> okay, so Doctor comes back. Yay, the day is saved. I don't know about you guys, but the goodbye seemed very <laughs> awkward. Or not even awkward. I guess it was more that it was very abrupt. At this point, I was like, you know what? I usually give him a bad time about it, but the doctor should have done his usual MO and just snuck off when no one was watching. Agreed. I mean, it is mm -hmm. kind of awkward because, I mean, how many people are left alive doesn't really seem like much. The thing that made it awkward was just that they were talking about, it's like, oh, hey, yeah, like Sorensen is back, all this other stuff. And then everyone just started saying goodbye to them. Like, I'm like, no one mentioned that they were leaving and everyone's just like, goodbye, doctor. <laughs> They're just kind of ushering them out <laughs> politely. Well... Sorry, you gotta go. Oh, God. Look at the time. We still don't really know who you are or how you got here. You need to leave, please. <laughs> oh, man. Oh. We end this with the doctor saying, come on, Sarah, we've got an appointment in London. We're already 30,000 years late. We know we're heading back to Earth next episode, but will it be at the right time? Candidly, probably not. Have you seen this show before? Of course not. <laughs> I was trying to add some tension, guys. <laughs> it's too late for that. One thing that I did want to touch on that we haven't really talked about as we've been too busy absolutely slating the details of the plot and everything else about this <laughs> serial. I feel like we've seen so much so far in the Baker era of his extremely flippant, snarky, cheeky commentary on stuff, right? And then suddenly in part two of this, 
he kind of flips and that side of his personality disappears and he is deadly serious, saying stuff like, you're tampering with the balance of nature on this planet in ways that you don't understand. That pivot, to me, gives the danger here, even if it's realised absolutely terribly on screen, some sense of actual menace. Mm. It's really impressive work from Tom Baker. Yeah, and again, if they had leaned into those aspects of it, it could have been great, and they didn't. Oh, I'm with you. I'm with you. I just wanted to give some props where props are due, and Tom Baker and that jungle are the saving graces of this story. They're <laughs> doing so much work. All right, Julie, how many women were there in this story? <laughs> Aside from Sarah, of course. Yeah, we know the answer to that. It is zero. So that's zero on the Philip Hinchcliffe women count. <laughs> we will go ahead and rate this. And the person with the pleasure of starting this time round, <laughs> I'm gonna get murdered, <laughs> is Julie. Okay, Don briefly mentioned it where he doesn't hate this one. This one didn't make me, again, it didn't make me angry. Don, I'm agreeing with you on this 100%. Didn't make Ooh. me angry. It is very disappointing. It's like when my dog goes and does something and I'm like, I can't be angry at you, but you really, really did not need to eat the cat's food. Ah, this made for a very disappointing day. <laughs> the music is good. The set design is good. We get some good Sarah Jane and the doctor. And while they do get kidnapped some, they are still given a lot more flexibility to do things. So they're not just stuck in a cell the entire time. That's most of it from the Saving Graces. But again, I don't hate it. And it's only four episodes. So I'm going to give it five and a half silly string monsters out of ten. You know, that's better than I was expecting. Riley. It was short and so mailed in. The supporting characters were one-dimensional. Other than that pudgy soldier, I liked him. He had some character. The sets were nice. So was the music. I also enjoyed the psychedelia. But this presents nothing new. And even the doctor together without Harry, that's right. First time without Harry, we didn't mention that. It still didn't provide enough to cover what was poorly executed, badly acted, and just not a fun experience at all. I was excited with the title, Planet of Evil. I'm like, oh, okay, we're going to get a little dark here. Yeah. I give it three and a half Stephen Stills slash Joe Cocker impersonators out of 10. <laughs> nice. All right, Don, what you got? As I said, I don't hate this story. I'm frustrated and disappointed by it because I think with some tweaking in the writing and in the set design for the ship, not the jungle. The jungle is awesome. This could be an all-time classic. However, it's not. <laughs> the characters are paper thin. Those that have several lines, except for the old guy, are just annoying. And we've seen them so many times before. I think everyone else has already pretty much taken everything I've said, but overall, the feeling is just that the great stuff is really taken down so much by the, the other stuff that even with that awesome, like, ocular scanner shot, it just drowns in this sea of mediocrity, really. So that's why I give it five not evil, just misunderstood planets out of ten. <laughs> yeah, it's really hard to disagree with you guys. I was honestly expecting. <laughs> we know what you're I was expecting. expecting something really different in this recording. <laughs> the jungle is fantastic. It does look really good, and I actually disagree with Julie. I think that the lighting is very effective. 
the various shades of purple really give it a wonderfully alien feel. Oh, it's not of the shading of the jungle. It's because I can't see Sarah Jane in the Doctor's faces. Okay, fair enough. But beyond that, yeah, I mean, we have a lot of unlikable characters here. Salomar and Sorensen being the prime ones, plus all the other barely on-screen grunts who get slaughtered over the course of the story. The music is on point. The direction is questionable. It has some moments that are really, really good. That moment just before the cliffhanger to, I think, part two, where the Doctor is walking through the jungle on his own, that looked great. But then, counterpoint, all those weird close-ups that don't quite work. <sighs> this one's a difficult one because Don's right. Done right, this could have been an all-time classic. Sadly, it wasn't, and I'm inclined to agree with my honourable friend Cy Hart <laughs> and call this one Planet of Wretched Evil. <laughs> For me, this gets four and a half anti-men out of ten. Okay, there's a part of me that's like, did I overrate this? I think I overrated this. I give you one chance to reconsider, Julie, otherwise you're locked in. <laughs> Let's go down to Dawn and I'll do five. All right, <laughs> five even. So that gives this story an average of 4.5, which still makes it better than Revenge of the Cybermen and the Monster of Peladon, but on par with the Sontaran experiment, based on our, obviously, completely arbitrary ratings. Arbitrarily correct ratings. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> so, with that, I'm going to go off and question my abilities as a moderator, <laughs> as we have reached the end of the episode. But... The other three will be back next time, since At they least. apparently don't need me anymore, <laughs> as we get our archaeology on to explore the pyramids of Mars. But in the meantime, thank you so very much for listening, and as always, have a good one. You have been listening to Watchers in the Fourth Dimension with Don Smith, Riley Shrek, Julie Philippek, and myself, Anthony Williams. This episode, Wait, Not Like That, was recorded on Tuesday the 22nd of November 2022, with overdubs recorded on Friday the 16th of December in the same year. If this is your first time listening into the show, all of our previous episodes are available wherever you like to get your podcasts. You can interact with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at @watches4d, and you can also email us at watches4d at gmail.com. If you're enjoying the show, please do subscribe and consider leaving us a review or rating on your favorite podcasting app. All of those things really do help the show. And always remember, check your microphone settings before you record a podcast. If you have them wrong, you may end up tediously re-recording every single line of your dialogue. FML. <laughs>